This is The Guardian. Today, a Dubai princess, an English judge, and shocking new details of a state-sponsored phone hacking campaign. A few months ago, we brought you an episode about two princesses in Dubai. One of them, Princess Latifa, had made a dramatic but failed escape attempt in 2018. She was snatched from this yacht by Emirati special forces off the coast of India as she tried to make an extraordinary escape. She had said she was terrified of her father, Sheikh Mohammed, the ruler of Dubai. The other, Princess Haya, the Sheikh's sixth wife. And now to the story of a royal marriage gone wrong and the geopolitical wrangling that has ensued because of it. In July, we told you that the phone numbers of both princesses appeared in a massive data leak. It showed they'd been selected as possible targets for surveillance by a government running powerful spyware called Pegasus. This software gives the user the ability to access photos, videos, phone calls, everything on the target's mobile phone. At the time, the claims were strongly denied. Last week, the actions of an English judge mean we can now tell you the full and shocking story of how Princess Hire and those around her were targeted by phone hacking through Pegasus spyware. Breaking news from here in the UK. The ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed Al Maktoum, has been found by the High Court to have illegally hacked the mobile phones of those opposing him in the British courts. That includes the phones of his ex-wife, Princess Haya of Jordan. It's an act that has implications not just for her, but for everyone in the UK. From The Guardian, I'm Rachel Humphreys. Today in Focus how an English court uncovered the state-sponsored phone hacking of a Dubai princess. Dan Sabah, you are The Guardian's defence and security editor, and you wrote the original story which linked Dubai's princesses to the Pegasus spyware. Today we want to focus on Princess Haya, and before we get to the incredible revelations in court last week, can you take us back to the start of this story? How did she end up becoming the wife of Dubai's ruler, Sheikh Mohammed? Princess Haya is the sixth wife of Sheikh Mohammed, so quite a lot of people married Sheikh Mohammed. (laughs) Um, But she's unusual in that she's also the daughter of King Hussein of Jordan and the half-sister of the current king, King Abdullah. And that means she's descended from the Prophet Mohammed. Uh, She is absolutely royalty of the highest order in the context of the Middle East. She's marrying, of course, the Emir of Dubai. Now, Dubai, we think of as a fantastically wealthy sheikhdom now, but it wasn't that long ago that, you know, it didn't have a lot of money. There weren't many resources in that part of the world. So this is new money marrying old money. She's a horse rider. The Black Stallion books left me with a love of horses and a fascination for the Commonwealth. I thought of Kentucky as horse heaven. Competed internationally. Sheikh Mohammed absolutely loves horse racing. His get-off in stable is, is the biggest operation in, in the UK. What do you do when you're not the ruler of Dubai? What gives you happiness and pleasure? Uh, I'll be riding my horses. You love horses? 
I love horses. I love animals. So there was a natural affinity there. So it looked like a good marriage. They'd had a couple of children. Sheikh Mohammed's got something like 25 children, I think, uh, is the sort of official count, certainly with his wives. Anyway, the marriage seemed to be a happy one, but gradually things began to change. When did their marriage start to break down? Princess High got more and more concerned about the way Sheikh Mohammed had treated some of his other daughters. There were two daughters in particular, uh, Sheikh Shamsa and Sheikh Latifa, both of whom at different times had tried to run away from Dubai, from the what they felt was a suffocating environment, you know, living with their father, living in their father's country. Shamsa, at one point, just over 20 years ago now, actually ran away into the UK and was actually in Cambridge. And she was actually picked up and snatched pretty much from the street and taken back to Dubai and essentially hasn't been seen in public since. Latifa, much more recently, 2018, she comes up with this extraordinary escape plan and basically pays this former French Secret Service guy to hire a yacht. They abscond on a yacht, her and a pal. And again, in panic, Sheikh Mohammed rings up his friend Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India, because they're heading towards India, towards Goa. And they get India commandos storm a yacht and, and pick them up. So th- these two young women have been ca- tried to flee and are captured. And Princess Hire is beginning, as their marriage breaks down, and ask more questions about them, and just beginning to think, this is beginning to worry me. You'd be getting some sneaking suspicions, wouldn't you, from that case history? And that story, particularly of Latifa's escape or attempted escape, which you told on the last podcast with Michael, is very dramatic. Do we have any knowledge of how Hire was treated by the sheikh while she was living in Dubai? It, what began to emerge was that Hire started to be threatened and they became, became a much more menacing and threatening environment. So there were firearms found in her room and there was an extraordinary incident where a helicopter was sort of dispatched to where she was living with a view to taking somebody to a prison. This didn't transpire, but it's quite some extraordinary threat. Apparently it was a mistake, the sheikh's people said. And all these things were apparently misunderstandings. But Princess Haya got more and more worried, more and more worried about the safety of her two kids and basically decided to flee to London. But then she made it quite clear that she wasn't going to come back to Dubai and the kids weren't coming back to Dubai. And thus began an extraordinary legal battle with more twists and turns than the plot of a six-part Sky Atlantic drama. Right, so Haya's in London she wants custody of her two children. Back in Dubai, how does the Sheikh respond to this? What happens almost immediately is the Sheikh Mohammed starts what initially is a custody battle. You know, he wants the kids to come back and be brought under his jurisdiction. Actually, Sheikh Mohammed drops the custody part, but it becomes this sort of sprawling, the best way to describe it is a kind of child welfare battle. And that gets played out in the family courts in the UK. This complicates things a bit because a lot of these things are heard in camera. These judgments are private, but because it involves a head of state, the ruler of Dubai, the media have been very keen to have access to the judgments. I has been sort of making a lot of arguments about, well, this this case is more than about my family. It's about the way you treat your fa- your other daughters that we've talked about already, uh, your family more broadly. So this is a case with diplomatic repercussions. So the media, including The Guardian, have wanted the uh, judgments to be released, put into the public domain. And at appropriate intervals, um, the family court have done that. In those those first hearings, what did we learn about the way the sheikh had been treating Princess Haya? And did she feel safe when she got here? Well, even when Princess Haya came to the UK, we what, what we learned was he was threatening her, basically. And, and this comes across in an earlier judgment. I mean, she says that he threatened her and saying, you know, you and the children will never be safe in England. But above all, he wrote a series of poems. He's a poet. In June 2019, he publishes his poem and it's called You Lived and Died. 
what she learns from it is that she's you know really being threatened by it. Remember, he's trying to get greater rights over access to the children, and she doesn't know where this will end up. And remember also that one of, you know one of his daughters is abducted from the streets of Cambridge. You've got to remember this is a man who's shown he'll go to quite some lengths to get control over women in his family in his life. Back in July, we spoke to you on Today in Focus as part of a major investigation that shed new light on this case. What had you learned by then? So what what we've begun to find out as part of a, a much the much wider Pegasus project, which looked at um, you know allegations of possible phone hacking, uh, there had been a, a leaked list of numbers connected to. NSO Group. NSO Group makes this sort of Pegasus spyware. It's this extraordinary sophisticated bit of surveillance technology that can remotely take control of a mobile phone, um, steal contents from it, delete the contents of it, um, turn on the microphone, covertly record its surroundings, for example. What emerged was a large leaked list of numbers that appeared to be, as we understood it, sort of persons of interest to client governments of NSO Group, one of whom was the uh, was the UAE in Dubai. And, and really, really interestingly, a whole bunch of numbers relevant to this court case crop up, some of which are at least a, you know, one member of Princess Hire's legal team, for example. We think members of Princess Hire's security. These are all plus four, four numbers, by the way. This is surveillance that's being done against British numbers, against people who are based and operated in Britain. So there's something to look at here, but we don't, we're not quite able to get to the bottom of this. This is an incredibly powerful piece of spyware. Why does it exist? And how does it work to take information from your phone? This is intended to be used against terrorists, against organised criminals, so absolute high-end threats to a country. What it can do is you don't even have to do anything your end. They can. Uh, the technology is so sophisticated, it, it takes advantage of various vulnerabilities that exist within you know, Apple or Android phones. It can fire them. In some cases, it can just fire a message at you. You don't have to click. None of this, none of this stuff about you've got to click on a dodgy link or anything like that. It can fire a message at you, and that's enough. It can take control of your phone for as long as, well, whoever wants to take control of it wants to, you know, wants, wants to operate it. They can read the contents of your phone. It's become their phone. They can delete what's on it. You've got a whole bunch of legal documents. Imagine that in your cloud. You, they can delete that. They can see your location. Everything you do with the mobile phone, they can do that. And then, equally crucially, it knows how to silently extract itself and delete itself and disappear. What's terrifying about it is that it's got in the hands of a whole range of governments around the world and it gets misused. There's plenty of evidence suggests it's been used against journalists and against human rights activists. But what's remarkable about this case is is being used against lawyers in a child protection battle involving the ruler of a country and his now former wife. When you published that story in July, Dan, Dubai declined to comment and NSO Group said that the fact a number appeared on the list was in no way indicative of whether that number was selected for surveillance using Pegasus. They also said that database has no relevance to the company. But last week, new revelations came out in court, which have been sitting in private sessions, so it's only now that we're getting this level of detail. Hundreds of pages of documents were released, meaning we can now piece together the extraordinary events of the 5th of August 2020. So nearly a year before your story about hire and Pegasus was published... It began with a man called Bill Marzak, who is an expert in the use of mobile phone surveillance software. 
What did he find out? Yeah, Bill Marzak, he works for an outfit called Citizen Lab connected to the University of Toronto. And they've been looking at the use and misuse of NSO group Pegasus software for some time. And they do that through this really sophisticated, complex, highly technical digital forensics. And he was looking at another case, an unrelated case. He's known only to the courts as Mr. X, but he's a UAE activist. And one of the things that Marzak had found is that Although Pegasus can secretly, silently, invisibly delete itself after use, when it's in operation, it does leave it does leave some fingerprints. Anyway, he was looking at the the, the the hacking of Mr. X, but whilst that was going on, noticed that someone else was being targeted, and that that person was connected to this London law firm, PHB Payne Hicks Speech. Quick bit of googling and found out that Payne Hicks Speech were acting for well, guess who? Princess Hire. And the star lawyer is Baroness Shackleton, the most famous divorce lawyer in Britain. So via an intermediary, another lawyer, he gets in touch and delivers a warning to Payne Hicks Speech. You've got a problem. You, it's possible that, that someone's phone is being hacked in your organisation. And that warning may well have been enough, actually, to trigger this whole process. But it wasn't the only warning that was made. Who else warned Baroness Shackleton on August the 5th? I mean, you couldn't make this up, really, for an extra for an extra twist of fate. So on August the 5th, this is what NSO says, they said they'd found out, and they were absolutely sure that Princess Hire and Baroness Shackleton were being targeted, their phones were being hacked by the Pegasus software, and they thought, we've got to do something, we've got to alert the lawyers, Baroness Shackleton, absolutely immediately. They pick up the phone, it's sort of midnight in Israel, so they pick up their phone to their ethics advisor. Well, who's their ethics advisor? Well, it happens to be Sherry Blair. Sherry Blair? Wife of former Prime Minister Tony Blair? Absolutely. I mean, of course, amazing that she's got involved, but she is she is involved. Sherry Blair, of course, is always a successful barrister. Her career was somewhat put on hold while Tony was Prime Minister, but never completely halted. So, yeah, NSO ring their ethics advisor, Sherry Blair, and sort of say, can you contact Baroness Shackleton for us? And can you do it now? Right now. Yeah. So, so Sherry Blair is the messenger here. Yeah, so it must be about 10 o'clock at night in the UK because the time difference is two hours. So, uh, uh, you know, Sherry Blair's got to dig out a number, which she does for Baroness Shackleton, and, and ring her up, which which she does, and, 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 and say, you've got a problem. I've been told that you're a bit of a victim of this high-end state-sponsored phone hacking by this sophisticated spyware. Gosh, I mean, that, as you say, is... An extraordinary twist. It's extraordinary. Let's just do one on that a second. So there are two warnings on the same day. It's just, it's, 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 it's very curious indeed. So you've got this sort of digital forensic expert sort of pieced it all together and he's sort of got in touch with an intermediary and saying, you've got a problem. And then the, and then the company kind of picks it up almost at the same time. And then suddenly, um, uh, and they get in touch with Sherry Blair and, and, and get them to ring Baroness Shackleton. Uh, I've been told by sources close to NSO Group, this is a total coincidence. And let's just leave it at that. But it, just, it is just a very surprising piece of timing, I think is the best thing one can say about that. What does Baroness Shackleton do with this information? So... PHB, Baroness Shackleton, at this point, they know there's a really, really big problem. It's just a massive breach of legal <laughs> procedure, one side spying on the other, you, you know, never mind the potential diplomatic and other repercussions. So they very quickly disclose this to the court. And then this whole child protection battle sort of lurches off in a new direction because uh, what, what then happens is, is there's a big battle to prove, you know, whether this alleged hacking did indeed take place. And that's what the courts spend over a year doing. And that's what the next 11 judgments are all about, which is deciding, you know, on a civil standard, so on the balance of probabilities, whether the phone hacking that was suspected t- took place. And that is what the courts decided. 
this must have been a big moment for you, Dan. The release of these documents and this ruling by the court validated what you had reported on in July when you weren't able to say definitively that Hire had been hacked using Pegasus. Now we know that did happen. And the courts can say this because they got hold of the phones themselves. What did they find from looking at those? They found that Hire's phone had been targeted. A massive amount of data, hundreds of megabytes of data had been extracted from her phone, 265 megabytes worth of data. So it's about sort of 24 hours of digital recording, for example, and an awful lot of photographs. And how was NSO responding to this while this investigation by the court was ongoing? Interestingly, and perhaps surprisingly for people who want to criticise NSO, NSO cooperated to the court to a great extent. They did go on to provide further information to the court, you know, describing what had happened as they understood it, uh, you know, as best they could. In other words, in addition to the forensic information, which was standing up the sort of legal challenge from from Sheikh Mohammed's lawyers, they were providing additional information that was supporting, saying, "Look, that this we understand this targeting took place." It, it was hardly surprising that the court concluded that, on the balance of probabilities, that phone hacking had taken place. Uh, 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 you know, and, and that was very important. And then it left one other matter for the court to decide, uh, which was, you know, who had done the hacking. When you reported this story in July, you strongly suspected that the shake was behind Hire's number appearing on that list. What did the court find last week? So Sheikh Mohammed fought this tooth and nail, as I've already indicated, and they also deployed another argument, which is sort of just worth talking about, which was that, well, I'm a head of state of another country, so you don't have any jurisdiction over me. In fact, you should just stop. The family court said... No, we must judge on this. And it's all very well you saying it's nothing to do with the UK, but we think it'd be an abdication of British sovereignty if we were not to decide because these things happened to our own people on our own soil. Thank you very much. Um, the Court of Appeal agreed with that. And then there was a kind of odd period where they tried to make some other arguments. Well, how do you know it was us? Maybe it was like Saudi Arabia or Israel or Jordan, there's an IP address from Jordan, apparently they found. And, and eventually the judges just said, look, we're having none of this. We're having none of this. It's really clear to us that the the person who is by a country mile the most likely to have wanted to do this, to have ordered this, was Sheikh Mohammed. It was done by agents or, or servants of his, in effect, the intelligence services. And so that was the really important second part of their determination. That becomes a real powerful sort of conclusion. As well as these hacking revelations, more details also came out last week about how the Sheikh has tried to intimidate Hire. What else did we learn? There is one other issue other than phone hacking that crops up in this, and it's again all about intimidation. So Princess Hire has a property near Windsor Castle. It's left to her by her father, King Hussein of Jordan. It turns out that She's learned that that Sheikh Mohammed or agents of his are thinking of buying another property really nearby. It's a thirty million pound property. You know, this is not um, you know, these are not little terraced houses next to each other. Oh no, that happens to overlook her house. Oh gosh, yeah, and this is absolutely terrifying to her. And she suddenly thinks, oh, you, you, are you going to spend all day spying on me? What on earth is going on? At the last minute, as Hire started to complain, it's come before the courts. They change their mind and they decide. They decide not to buy it. But nevertheless, in all this context, Princess Hire wants to be left alone and applies for what's called a non-molestation order. So she puts in this witness statement. It's clear how terrified she is. She says, I feel like the walls are closing in on me. And she sort of says, she, she says, I feel like I'm battling against a state, which she is. 
this this extraordinary display of state power is being marshaled against her. And, and she's in a terrifying position. And even though Sheikh Mohammed pulled out of the property purchase, the judge ruled in Princess Haya's favour and, 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 and made all these sort of extraordinary conditions. He said that he couldn't buy the property fine. That had already been dealt with. But he also said that Sheikh Mohammed or his agents couldn't enter the grounds of uh, Princess Haya's house but he also said they couldn't fly in. They were forbidden from entering up to a thousand feet above the property, and this was to prevent any helicopters landing or anything like this. This this fear of Princess Hyas that there might be this sort of, you know, abduction by helicopter was uh, has been explicitly blocked by the court. The court believed her and believed it was a serious enough a threat that they had to issue a ruling on. Coming up. Why the state-sponsored hacking of a Dubai princess has implications for all of us. Hey, small business leaders. Are you doing it all at your company? JustWorks can relieve you of some of the administrative work you don't love. Things like running payroll, managing benefits, and figuring out state-by-state regulations. Whether your team is remote or in-person, you can give them access to large group health insurance plans and manage onboarding, payroll, and PTO, all in one place. Learn more at JustWorks.com. Damn, for many people, I think this story will feel very distant, the state-sponsored phone hacking of a royal couple embroiled in a legal battle over the welfare of their children. But the fact that these phones were hacked in the UK means that it is significant to all of us, right? We should be interested. We should absolutely be interested. And MI5 warned early this year, the new boss of MI5, Ken McCallum, warned early this year, that we should be as worried about state-sponsored threats to us as individuals and our way of life as we should about terrorism. We have had a continued evolving huge challenge with Islamist extremist terrorism. We have the rise of extreme right-wing terrorism and we have definitely a resurgence of sharp and complex state threats. The only... You know, other countries, you know, we're talking about this can be autocratic countries with a very different idea about who's important, uh, you know, and, and what's not. And some of it might just be spying or industrial espionage by countries like China because you might work in a, I don't know, military industry or artificial intelligence or something like that. But... Some of this is aimed at dissidents or journalists or lawyers or people who, you know, seek safety in the UK. And so you mentioned earlier the sort of our, our previous investigations about the use of Pegasus. I mean, for example, uh, we found a list of 400 phone numbers, 400 individuals were listed as persons of interest to to the UAE or, or Dubai. You know, they included a member of the House of Lords. They included the boss of a think tank, included actually a, a horse trainer who um, knew Princess Hire, but they, they included distance. They included journalists, some of whom were expatriates, a lot of whom were Brits. You know, and it needn't just be by the UAE. There are many other countries too, because this technology that we're talking about, you know, it can be bought off the shelf. It's terrifying when you put it that way. And this is a state-sponsored hack by an ally of the UK. So, do you think this will have an impact on relations between the UK and the UAE? Uh, Britain is working so hard to pretend that nothing has happened. So, what's really one thing that's really really interesting here is the UAE is an incredibly wealthy country that's, you know, connected to Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, traditionally seen as strong allies for Britain in the Gulf, strong supporters in contending or trying to sort of deal with Iran, which is seen as much more of a hostile state. And so you know, the UK thinks its relationship with the UAE is so important that it really wants to say, 
absolutely nothing about this or as little about this as possible. So uh, when this court battle was um, uh, being concluded in the courts, but not yet in the public domain, uh, the Foreign Office was notified, look what's been going on. British citizens are being hacked. Our legal process is being subverted. This cannot be right, uh, uh, would be the obvious conclusion. So the Foreign Office has certainly known about it. Its response, though, has been to make these sort of rather vague remarks about, you know, it's really important that everyone's responsible cyber power. No finger pointing. And meanwhile, as for the UAE, you know, the most powerful emirate is Abu Dhabi. You know, the crown prince ruler is Mohammed bin Zayed. Where was he last month? Oh, well, he was in Downing Street having a one-on-one with Boris Johnson. Great. Great pleasure to welcome you. Long time to see There is a bit of more of a question perhaps about Sheikh Mohammed himself. Obviously, he's the ruler of a different emirate, Dubai. He's the vice president of the UAE. So, you know, the, the, the second family after the, after the bin Zayed's. There, there is some question mark about whether he will, he still has his racing interest in the UK, but whether he'll be able to be photographed with the Queen at Ascot, whether he'll be able to visit her enclosure. So that is a very British punishment, is it not? Oh, to not be able to be friends with the Queen anymore, yes. Yeah, that, is, that, that looks like the punishment that Britain is going to extract. Um, but there is one other thing. We can't really prove this independently. But what NSO said they've done as a result of this is they flicked a switch. British phone numbers can no longer be targeted by their software in particular. This applies also to other Five Eyes countries, you know, Australia and Canada and New Zealand it seem to have got something out of this as well. The US was already uh, was already on the sort of no hacking list. We have no evidence to suggest that any hacking of a plus four, four number has taken place since August of last year. But it would only take one instance of hacking to prove that that commitment wasn't the case. Dan, you did a lot of work on the phone hacking scandal here in the UK uh, that happened within the UK media. And some journalists went to jail for those crimes. Are the police looking at the possibility of prosecutions in this case? The police have been looking at it. And, you know, Scotland Yard, we're looking at whether sort of prosecutions could be brought. That investigation appears to have stalled. That's what the kind of latest reports are that a few months ago it stalled. There's a bit of pressure about whether they should reopen it. To be honest with you, the reality of the situation is that when a foreign power, foreign government engages in spying of any kind in the UK, whilst it might be dominantly illegal, the reality is that prosecutions are exceptionally difficult to put together and much more importantly, would be seen as diplomatically embarrassing. And Britain's got form here because it's been alleged that uh, the Foreign Office lent on Cambridgeshire Police to not carry on the investigation into the abduction of, of Princess Shamsa uh, 20 odd years ago from the, you know, from the streets of Britain. What is left now to play out in the case between Princess Hire and the Sheikh? I mean, could there be more revelations? I mean, ultimately, the final determination relating to the sort of welfare of the children needs to be made, yeah? But the strategy that's been adopted by Princess Hire's team has been to put Sheikh Mohammed's, you know, family, wider family conduct in the spotlight, in effect, to embarrass him into backing off and leaving her and the children alone. And that has already involved them airing the stories of, of Princess Shamsa and Princess Latifah and their respective abductions. And then in the course of that, as that became hotter, that's involved this act of phone hacking as determined by the courts. So, I mean, this is a remarkable story with the most extraordinary set of developments. It's been in the courts for over two years, and I suspect there's quite a few twists and turns to come. But it's very sad too because, and the judge, actually we should, you know, one should do a shout out. Can you do a shout out to a judge? You can, Dan, yeah. 
Well, I mean, Sir Andrew McFarlane is the president of the family court. I mean, you know, he has all these incredibly expensive lawyers. I mean, millions and millions have been has been spent on this case, arguing all sorts of things in front of him. He cuts through it all. He produces readable, comprehensible, no messing around judgments. And he reminds the parties that ultimately this is about the welfare of children, this, this case. And it's about trust. And he sort of says to Sheikh Mohammed, what, what you want is to restore trust with Princess Hire and, and the kids. But this phone hacking, it doesn't really engender any trust. It just, just does just the reverse. And in effect, he's saying, what are you doing? Dan, thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you. That was Dan Sabber. Read all his previous reporting on this story at theguardian.com and listen to him talking about it on the podcast in an episode called The Pegasus Project Part 4, Runaway Princesses and the UK Connection. We also made an episode about Latifa, Shamza and Haya in 2019 called Why Do Devised Princesses Keep Running Away? which you can find at the website or wherever you get your podcasts. After the findings were published by the court, Sheikh Mohammed issued a statement in which he continued to deny the allegations relating to hacking. He said, These matters concern supposed operations of state security. As a head of government involved in private family proceedings, it was not appropriate for me to provide evidence on such sensitive matters. Neither the Emirati of Dubai nor the UAE are party to these proceedings, and they did not participate in the hearing. The findings are therefore inevitably based on an incomplete picture. NSO said the courts had expressed their appreciation of NSO's cooperation, which was given although NSO is not within the jurisdiction of the court. The Foreign Office said all countries should use cyber surveillance in a way that is legal, responsible and proportionate. Cherry Blair has refused to comment on her role with NSO. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Cassin. Sound and original music by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Archie Bland. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Let's face it, everyone hates passwords. They need to be complex, hard to guess, and most importantly, unique. Passwords are also involved in most hacking-related data breaches because attackers know they are a reliable weakness to exploit. CyberArk Identity can help you eliminate passwords and secure access on any device at just the right time. Don't wait until you've been breached to improve your security. Learn more about CyberArk today. When it comes to security, you already have to lock doors, save passwords, and remember combinations. How about having one less thing to worry about? Thankfully, AT&T makes your security a top priority. Download AT&T Active Armor's free mobile security app to help protect your personal data so you have one less thing to worry about. It's not complicated. AT&T Active Armor, 24-7 network protection and free security apps to help stop threats before they get to you at no extra charge. Compatible device slash service required. Data charges may apply. Visit att.com slash activearmor for details.